0: Turning your Bibles to Isaiah 40. Just go ahead, and that's where you can be open at this point. Got a lot of slides tonight, so you'll have a lot of things to be able to look at as well. We're continuing our study of what we're calling Jesus and His world, and we're seeing the people, the places, the events that tie into our Savior. Our goal is to understand this, see how it fits together, and see how it flows together. We divided our study. You don't have to write all this down, of course, but we divided the study into the two, four sections, the end of the Old Testament, between the Testaments, the beginning of the New Testament, and the end times. Well, we just now started this section, the beginning of the New Testament. That's where we are. There's so much information. I told you <clears throat> that when we started the class that you can't remember all of this, a lot of this history, you can't remember how everything fits together. But you have the material and you have the resources and you can always go back. We're now starting the third section, the beginning of the New Testament. And we're going to see, we're seeing the rise of Rome as a world power. we have seen their peace and the the roads and the language and everything, and the law and everything pulling together. Well, in this lesson, what we're looking at, we're seeing really the coming of the forerunner, who is John the Baptist, and the birth of, of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So those two things, the coming of the, the, the uh, forerunner and the Messiah, basically you put it any way you want to, and, and we'll see that as you fill out your little thing. So what, uh, we, we could raise this question, and we already know the answer, but some people might have a different answer. Somebody say, Who is the most important person who ever lived? Some could say, well, there's a lot of discussion there. It could be somebody who maybe be the person who came up with the polio vaccine that just saved millions of lives. Or what about some world leader who has, you know, shaped the world? And, or what about an entertainer or a sports person? Or what about somebody who has done all kind of great missionary work? Well, you, you could talk about it and say, yeah, there are a lot of great people. But there's, there's, there's one that really is the most important person ever lived. And you could just ask it by this way. You could say, what year is this? And somebody says, well, it's 2011, uh, 2021, 2011, 2022, know, whatever year they say. You say, well, what does that mean? In the year of our what? That it, means everything, our whole dating system is based around a person, and that person is Jesus Christ. The man Jesus from Nazareth, from a small town in Israel, became the most important person who's ever lived. That's because he's the God-man. And we know this man as Christ, as the Christ, the Messiah, the greatest one who's ever lived. He is Jesus. He is the Son of God who came to the earth. And when we start really thinking about Him, we say, He is the Son of God who came to the earth, that died on the cross, paid for sin, and rose again. He is our God and our Savior. He is the mediator between God and man. And we always say this and we talk about the story of the Bible. And the story of the Bible is how the perfect God brings sinful man back to himself. How? Using his Son, Jesus Christ. So that's what we're talking about. And we're talking about Him coming. Well, tonight we're going to see... Uh, how how it all ties together, and we get the background of the forerunner and the background of the Messiah, and we see how it ties together. We could say this, the world, as we've been studying, the world is now ready for the Messiah. God promised a Savior to the world that he would come. I want you to think about the flow. I have it written down for you there, and I'm going to add something. You know, I'm always looking at things and uh, thinking about things. Maybe I'd change something a little bit. If you notice the flow of the Messiah, most of you have, have been with me, and we've studied this before, and we listed it out. But I'm going to make a little change tonight and add something in there. So let's think about the flow of the Messiah. First of all, you go all the way back to Genesis 3. It's the seed of woman. The seed of woman is going to do what? Crush the head of the serpent. The seed of the woman is going to be the Savior, the one who's going to come and deal with the the uh, the you know the sin and, the, and Satan. Okay, then Genesis 12, the seed of Abraham. Who is the seed of Abraham. He is the one in which all the nations of the world, what? Will be blessed, and so we, uh, he'll bless those that bless him, and they'll curse those that curse them. And so that's the, the seed of the seed of Abraham's coming. Then we said in Second Samuel chapter seven, he'll be the son of David. He is going to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's going to one that that'll sit on David's throne and rule in righteousness and justice. And then we said in Daniel chapter seven, there's a talk. There's a part about the Son of Man, and the Son of Man sets up a kingdom that will never end. And so that's, we're seeing the Messiah's coming in that way. And then in Luke chapter 1, the son of Mary, the son of Mary is going to be the king and the savior. That was the promise and we'll see that tonight. Here's something that I added, as you know, if you look at your little deal, you'll see that there's Luke 1 and then then it goes to John 1. Well, in Luke 1, that's the son of Mary. Well, I'm putting in there Matthew 17 because we've been looking at this and we said that the seed of woman, the seed of Abraham, the son of David, the son of man, the son of Mary, and now the son of God. And what did the father say about the son? This is my beloved son in whom I'm what? Well pleased. And then last but not least is John one twenty nine, the lamb of God who takes away the seed, the, the sin of the world. So you think about it, the seed of woman. So this Messiah is going to come from a woman. He's going to be a descendant of Abraham, so he's going to be Jewish. He's going to be a descendant of David, so he can sit on the throne as the king. He's going to have a kingdom that will what? Never end. He's going to be the son of Mary, who will be come up born of the virgin. And he's going to be what? He's going to be the savior and the king. And then he's the son of God, which is well-pleasing to the Father. Why? Because He came to do the will of the Father. And finally, He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so that's kind of the flow. And I just added that in there. I thought that's pretty neat. And you can just put it in there in between that if you want to. And so we have the flow of the Messiah. I think it's really great. When I do the two-two study, if you've ever been in that class, we, one of the things we start with is showing the flow of the Messiah all the way through the Bible. And that's what that is right there. It's just a, a real short, got a quick be- overview of it. So Before we get into our lesson, what I wanted to do is I wanted to remind you what we saw last week about the land of Israel. And if you remember, Israel is divided into a number of big areas, but at the time of Christ, when Herod was the ruler, what, what you see is this: you have the northern part of Israel is called Galilee, the central part of Israel is called Samaria, and the southern part of Israel is called Judea. Here's Jerusalem is the capital. In the northern part, there are the fishermen and the farmers out in this area here, and that they were you might say they were the common people, the country people, uh, good people. Down here, you got here the Samaritans, half Jew half Gentile. You remember that most Jewish people didn't deal with these people at all. And then you got further down here, and you got the big city, you got Jerusalem, you got all the religious leaders, you got the educated people, and sometimes people down here made fun of people up here. They had a different, a different dialect. Just like, well, in our country, if you live in the South, you talk a different way than somebody who lives in New York or California or the mid Midwest. I mean, this is the way it is. And so this is the land, uh, the time of Herod and the time, really, the birth of Christ. And so when you think about it, over you know, up in here, this is the uh, capitalists. This was all a bunch of Greeks. If you remember, we talked about how during that time uh, they went back and forth over Israel, the Ptolemies and the Seleucids. This whole part, 10, that's called Decapolis because it means 10 cities. There were 10 Greek cities right there. And so all of this is is what's going on at the time of Christ. And then we talk, and and I want to talk about the temple. And I want you to see something tonight. I'm going to go through it fairly quickly, but I just want you to see this because it took, uh, if you remember, it, it took 46 years for Herod to build onto the temple to make it something. Of course they challenged Jesus and uh, he said something about destroy this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. He was talking about his body. They thought he was talking about the building. They said it took 46 years to build this building. And Jesus was talking about about the, you know, his body. So let's talk about the temple for just a little bit as we get into this. There's a picture. This is a uh, this is not an actual picture of the temple, but this is a, this is a model of the temple which is in israel and if you can you, can anybody see am I blocking anybody? anybody can see okay, I want you to look here 's the temple area this is the wall around the temple that 's called the eastern gate. People could come in the eastern gate there were all kind of entrances from this side and from that side as well there 's a big old wall going around it. this was called Solomon's Stables. This was a place over here which was called Court of the Gentiles and Court of the women and so you could come in and when you came in through the eastern gate, if you go back that direction, it's the, it's the Mount of Olives. You'd come in and there's all kind of things here and then you come in through that gate and when you come in through that gate, you're getting where the altar is, where they offered the sacrifices. There's where the holy place is and the holy of holies. And so it was a gigantic area. I mean, it was just incredible area. And I think I've got here's just sort of a scale of it. You'd come through that gate called the beautiful gate. There's the court of women. And then you'd come through that other gate. There's the altar and the laver and all of these things. And what I want you to see is, and think about this, that is this temple tabernacle another name for how they put it together is really a picture of christ so let's talk about it for just a second we talked about that solomon built this amazing 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 temple and when they built the temple uh you know because it got destroyed by who who destroyed it who destroyed solomon's temple Babylonians. babylonians okay then they came back and who came back and built the temple what was it called Zerubbabel's temple, and now this third one is called Herod's temple, because Herod has put all the money into it. The temple was, was the place. If you remember that before the destruction of the temple, everybody went to the temple, then after the destruction, and the captivity, they started coming back and meeting in the what? synagogues, but the temple was still big, even in the day of Christ, at uh, Christ's time. The temple, there was the priesthood, the feast days, the sacrifices. Now, I want to remind you of something, that every aspect of the Old Testament, especially the law, was a picture of Jesus Christ. And you may say, what are you talking about? Every feast day pointed to something about Jesus, whether it's Passover, and he died on Passover, whether it's first fruits, he rose from the grave, whether it's Pentecost, whether it's the Feast of Trumpets, Tabernacles, everything fit for Christ, the the priesthood, the priesthood's clothes, the priesthood's job. Jesus says, "We saw it in Sunday school or grow group. What do we call him? He's our great high priest. He's the priest. The sacrifices, every sacrifice, whether it was a sacrifice for sin or a sacrifice for something else, was a picture of Christ and his death and the idea of sin. So, at the time of Jesus Christ, you had the religious people, and they led the people in worship as a ritual." and salvation as works. Now, I just want to stop for one second and say this. When you look in the Scripture, from the very beginning, from Adam and Eve to Abraham to David, everything, salvation is always one way. It's faith. It's faith. It's not works. It's not our goodness. It's faith in the the Old Testament. It's faith in the coming Messiah. And they believed in the Messiah, and they were saved, and they were saved for how long? Forever. You get to the New Testament, Jesus dies on the cross, pays for sin, rises again. And salvation in the New Testament is what? It's always by faith. John three sixteen. God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him would never perish, but have eternal life. All through the whole Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, everything, salvation is always the same way. It is simply by faith. You believe in Jesus Christ for eternal life, and you're saved forever. we, We looked all the way back, and by the time you get to almost every aspect, you see man changes it and adds works to it. Man wants something to do. So when you got to the time of Christ, and we saw the same thing in the Old Testament, but when you get to the time of Christ, the religious leaders, the religious leaders led people in worship as rituals. Instead of it being acts of worship anymore because those sacrifices and things, they just became rituals, they became laws and all those kind of things. And that salvation was works. You take today, there are many places, many churches, many groups, that if you were to ask them, how does a person have eternal life? They would add works. They would say, you need to be baptized. You need to give your life to Jesus. You need to do certain works. You need to keep on doing things. You can believe in Jesus, but you've got to do good works to stay saved. And it's just over and over. So I just want you to realize that at the time of Jesus Christ, if you would have said to a Pharisee, what must a person do? They would say, keep the law. Try to keep the law. Paul actually says, the, the commandments that I thought would bring me life brought me death why did they bring him death because they couldn't keep him. because nobody can so i just wanted you to think through that is all the way through the scripture that it's always by faith faith alone in christ alone faith alone in the messiah who's coming faith alone in the one who came jesus christ and so What I want you to think about is when we look at the temple, it's really a picture of Jesus Christ. The temple was a picture of our Savior. John 14, 6, He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the way in. He's the truth, and He's the life. Let me show you something that many look at this, and they will say that He's the way in, He's the truth in the front room, and He's the life in the back room. And we'll talk about that some other time. But that's really how it ties together. So I want you to to think about this for a minute. And let's look at the flow of, of of all of this. Let me let me go here. Yeah, the way is the Eastern Gate. It should say Eastern Gate, not Easter Gate. The trust, uh, the truth was, it should say truth. Way, it's, this has got way, Eastern Gate, and trust, I think we've got a few things there. But anyway, I want you to understand that Jesus is the final sacrifice. Let me go back to this and just show you again. This is the The thing, and I look at this because I'm going to put this up a bunch. I'm going to take you through something. So let's pretend that let's not pretend. Let's recognize that this is a picture of Jesus Christ. And you say, how is this a picture of Christ? Okay. Well, we're going to see. Here's the gate, court of women. Here's the the way to come in. Here's the altar. Here's the laver. I'll talk to you about what that is. Here's the front room. It has. It has a lampstand. It has bread. It has an has a altar of incense. Here's the back room that has the Ark of the Covenant. This is called the Holy Place. That's called the Holy of Holies or the Most Holy Place. This is a picture of Christ. Let me show you how we know. Okay. The first thing is the altar. Out front it was a sacrifice. And this is the altar right here. And when they would bring an animal, they would put an animal on that altar. They'd cut the throat and they'd bleed. They'd throw it up there and they would sacrifice it. It covered sin did not pay for sin it was a foreshadow of jesus christ who's going to do what Pay for sin, be the final sacrifice for sin forever. So there's the altar. The second thing was the laver. It was a picture of cleansing because Jesus is the pure one. Here's the laver. You, in some places, it's actually in the middle here. Some places draw it differently. This one draws it over to the side. Uh, what a priest would do is when he would take an animal and he would kill the animal and he'd put blood and he'd put the animal upon the thing and he would sacrifice it. And then he's... he's Filthy. He's got blood here. He's got even blood on him. And he goes over to the laver, and the laver had two parts to it. It was really big and round, and, and it had a lot of water. And you could put your hands down in it, but there was a place at the bottom you could put your feet in and get water on it as well. and then you And then you're clean. And now you can serve God again. You were the priest. You got dirty. You had to be clean before you could serve God. It's a picture of Jesus who is the Holy One who came as the perfect, righteous, Holy One. Then as you go into the holy place, there's a thing called the lampstand. And if you walked in the room, we're gonna well, let's put it like this. When you walk in the room, on this side, there's this lampstand. It's big, it's beautiful, and it stays lit all the time. And that's a picture of Jesus because he is the light of the world. That's who he is. And then if you got when there was a table called the table of showbread. And Jesus is the bread of life. Over on the side, as you walked in, lampstand over here, table over here, twelve loaves of bread. Usually, a lot of times they're six stacked up and six stacked up, and there they are, and they represent the twelve tribes of Israel. But Jesus is the perfect Israel, so He is He's He's the bread of life, and and so there's the 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 place of the bread on that side. Then, as we talked about, there's this altar, and it's not very big; it's it's about this big and it was about that high, and it was made out of gold, and on the top of it was this little incense thing, and it was, burned all the time and the smoke went up all the time it is a picture of intercession. It was the picture of Jesus as our intercessor. And so in this drawing, uh, it's, it's, it's back here. Usually we think it was right really in the middle. Whoever drew this put it over to the side, but it's right there in between. And there's a curtain right here. The curtain represents the body of Jesus Christ. The re- curtain re- actually represents the, the barrier between God and man. And so, when Jesus died on the cross, you remember what happened? The curtain was torn from the top to the bottom. You get back into the holy room and there's there's a thing called the Ark and the Mercy seat. The Ark of the Covenant was a box. If you ever saw how many saw Raiders of the Lost Ark something like that 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 ark in the Raiders of the Lost Ark looks exactly like everything I've ever heard described. It was a box made out of wood and covered over wood with gold. The wood represents humanity, the gold represents deity it's a picture of Jesus Christ as the one who, who is the Savior and there's a mercy seat which is a solid gold lid on the top with two angels looking down and they poured the blood there and so in that back room in the holy place the most holy place, the holy of holies is the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat mercy seat is the top and so there's the box. Listen, the bottom line is if, if you would have been somebody who didn't know anything and you saw these Jewish people and you saw them worshiping and you said, What does your God look like? And they said, Well, he doesn't like anything. Well, what's in the back room? And they'd say, A box. A box with a gold lid on it. What's in the box? Nothing. And so, I mean, where's is, where is your God? That's how they would think. Where's your God? And we said, No, no, no. Our God is the Messiah, the Savior. He is the way and the truth and the life, and this is the final sacrifice for sin, this is the cleansing, this is the bread of life, or the bread, you know, the bread of life, this is the light of the world, this is the incense, and this is the most holy one who dies and pays for our sin. The mercy seat is the plate of coverage. In the Old Testament, it's where they covered sin. In the New Testament, uh, Jesus comes, and He's the final sacrifice for sin forever. So, I, I want you to just see that. I don't think I have it. Yeah, I have one more. There it is. And, and just think about how beautiful that is. And and listen, if you were a woman, you could come in, and you could come no farther than here. If you were a Gentile, there were even sections of it that you couldn't come in. If you were a man, you could come into this area, but only could you get very far because the priests were all here. This was the court of the priests. This is the tables over here. This priest. And by the way, there were no chairs in the in the place where the priests served. There were no chairs at all. Why? Because they never sat down. Why? Because the sacrifices were never finished. People brought them continually day after day after day. That's why when Jesus, as the great high priest says, when he had offered one sacrifice for sin forever, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God because the work is finished. And so with this background, let's talk about the prophecies. And these, some of this is so famous that we don't have to go into a lot of details, but I want you to see it and we'll talk about the prophecies of the forerunner and the coming Messiah. Do you realize that the Old Testament said that the Messiah's coming, you remember, seed of woman, seed of Abraham, son of David, and all that's coming, but before he would come, before the Messiah would get there, There would be a forerunner, someone to go before and announce him. Because see, in the Old Testament, when the king came, they had people that would go and they would straighten out the roads. Did you ever know that? They didn't want a king being carried or rolling, on, and it'd be bouncy. So they went, and if the king's coming, they straightened out the roads, they put things, made it smooth, and they announced that he was coming. Well, What about John the Baptist? What was his message? The Messiah is coming, smooth out the roads, the king is coming. And so he would go before and announce the Messiah and the king. That's who he is. Jesus is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the Messiah and the Savior. So here is, in Malachi 3.1, here's a prophecy that gives both of them at the same time. Notice, Behold, I am sending my messenger. Who is the messenger? That's John the Baptist. He will clear a way before me. And the Lord, whom you're seeking, will suddenly come to his temple. Who's that? That's Jesus. And the messenger of the covenant, of whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of armies. That's the Messiah. And notice this that the messenger is coming. He'll prepare the way for the forerunner. And the Messiah, the Lord, is coming. He's the messenger of the covenant. That is the Messiah. And so you've got them, the Messiah and the Lord. They're coming. Malachi 3 1. So let's look at the forerunner. We all know who he is. And can you imagine that if you were living at the time before Jesus was born, and somebody came to you and said, you're going to have a son, and your son will be the forerunner of the Messiah. If you're Jewish, you've heard of this all your life, that one day a Messiah is coming, one day the Savior is coming, and the best you could tell from Scripture is there's going to be one announcing him. And they tell you, your, your son is going to be the one. Isaiah 40, verse 3, this is the one calling out. Clear the way, climb out in the wilderness. Clear the way for the Lord in the wilderness. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That's Isaiah 40, verse 3. That's the Messiah. That's the one that they've waited for. So let's look at it. Turn in your Bibles to Luke, okay? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Turn over to Luke. And uh, let's just see something here. We're just going to go very quickly through this. We, y'all know the story. Luke chapter 1. And I, I'm just going to kind of go through it. And some verses I'll read, some things we'll just talk about. But I just want you to get this. You know, we've looked so much on the history and kings and, and empires and Alexander the Great and Antiochus Epiphanes. And we spend time on that. Should we spend a little time on our forerunner and our Messiah? So let's think about the forerunner for just a second. And there's this man. His name was Zacharias. He was a priest. Luke chapter 1 verse 5 says, In the days of Herod, king of Judah, there was this priest named Zacharias of the vision of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Now, there's this man. He's a priest, which that means he had to be a descendant of Aaron. It says talks about he was of uh, the family of Abijah. And he has a wife. Her name is Elizabeth, and she's also from the tribe, a priestly tribe. So there are two of them, and, and they're old. And they don't have any kids. And they've always wanted a child. In fact, they've always wanted a boy. Because men back then, they wanted a boy that carried on their name, carried on everything. In fact, many times that when someone was born, they named their son the same as their daddies a lot of times to, to keep that name going. So in verse 5, you've got Zacharias as the priest. Well, it just so happens... Verse eight. That happened that he was performing his priestly duty. He was a priest, and there were there were forty, uh, I think either forty-two or forty-eight divisions that King David had set up while David was the king, and he said. This group of priests will serve, they'll serve for a amount of time, then they'll leave, and another group will come in. And so, in your life, you were a priest, and you got to serve at different times. And you would go and you would stay there, maybe for a week or two weeks, or whatever it was. But here's the deal. Uh, there were jobs that you did, but there were some special jobs that most likely you never got to do, because there were so many priests. And some of those were to burn to go in that room. Remember that front room? And on one side was the lampstand, on the other side was the bread, and in the back was the altar of incense. And somebody went in there every day. Some priest went in the front room every day and made sure that light was burning all the time that lamp. And once a week they changed out the bread, and that lamp that that uh, altar of incense on the back, they had to keep it burning all the time. It just so happens. Verse 8, it happened while he was performing his priestly duty. According to the custom, verse 9, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn the incense. You can just see him because they cast lots to see who got to do it. And it came up on this old man, Zacharias, and they said, guess what? You get to go in and burn the incense. He'd never probably done it in his whole life, been a priest all his whole life. This was the biggest day of his life. You know, he probably was very scared because you don't want to mess up. But he also was probably saying, this is the greatest day of my life. So he was chosen to burn the incense. It's very special. Maybe only once in a priest's life did he get to do something like that. Well, if you remember, it, I'll just quickly tell you, he went in there, and, he, and the people were waiting outside because it's at the 3 o'clock hour. It's called the evening sacrifice, the evening offering. It was one at 9 in the morning and one at 3 in the afternoon. And so he went in there, and when he got in there and got ready to do it, he looked up. And there was an angel standing by the by the altar of incense. As he got ready to go, and he went, and they said, uh, "I, I'm Gabriel, and I've come to give you a message. Your prayers are answered. You will have a son. You will call him John." And he will be the forerunner of the Messiah. Look what he says, verse 17. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him, for the Messiah, in spirit and in power of Elijah. He'll turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of righteousness to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He said, Your son will be the forerunner of the Messiah. And what do you think he thought? Well, you know, he, he, he probably thought, oh, this is the greatest day of my life. That's not exactly what he thought. Yeah. He said, are you sure? <laughs> you know, I'm pretty old, and my wife's really old. She's older than me, I bet you. But anyway, the bottom line is, are you sure? And he said, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. And because you hadn't believed us, you won't be able to talk until all this comes to pass. And all of a sudden he went. And he came out. Because the people were waiting because he took so long. Because how long does it take to burn the incense and walk out? And he's been in there and the people are wondering what happened to him. When he comes out, they say, what are you doing in there? And he goes. And they went, he can't talk. He must have seen a vision in there. So he goes home. And the old people are going to have a baby. And she's a little bit embarrassed at first, but then the baby's coming, and now it's time for the baby to come. Elizabeth to give birth. And she bears the son, and when she bore the son, everybody gathered around. Of course, uh, Zacharias is standing over there not saying anything, because he can't say anything. And they all say, okay, we're going to name him. You're going to name him Zacharias. And she said, no, his name is John. And they went, he can't, nobody in your family's name named John. Let's ask the father. And so they went over there. And they took one of those little things with the, with the wax on it. And they said, what do you want to call him? His name is John. And as soon as he handed it to him, and they said his name is John, suddenly he could talk. And he began to shout out, this is the greatest day. Where I'm going to have this son. He will be the foreshadow of the Messiah. He's coming. He's going to do it. it's just amazing. And, and look what he said. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give His people what? The knowledge of what? Salvation by the forgiveness of their sins. He, that day, Zechariah said, My son is the forerunner of the Messiah. Wow. How great could that be? Wow. And so, kind of settled down after that. And you know what's so weird is we don't know what happened to John, but he became weird. He did. He went out in the wilderness and lived by himself, and he ate locusts and wild honey and and had weird clothes, and he never cut his hair because he was a Nazarite, which a Nazarite vows you never cut your hair unless you could do it for a certain period of time, but he did it for his whole life. And so by the time you see John at age 30, he is like hair everywhere, locusts. And that's why when people saw him, they went, who is this man? And so John, the baptizing one, he's called the baptizing one because he baptized people, identifying them with the Messiah. He is the forerunner. Well, with that in mind, let's think about the Messiah. Let's think about, well, the forerunner has come. Let's talk about the Messiah, the promised one of God, the Savior of the world. Now, we we all know this story, so there's not a lot there, but I want you to think about this. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Now, in the sixth month, we have to stop there. Because y'all know that I never went to church when I was a kid. I went to church once when I was six, once when I was 12. But if you'd asked me the story of Christmas without knowing the Bible at all, I knew the story of Christmas because we did it at school. We had a Christmas play, Christmas program every year, and people were shepherds and sheep, and somebody was Joseph and Mary, and all that. And and so, if you'd have said to me, "Do you know anything about the Christmas story?" I would have said, "Yeah, there's that. You know, the baby Jesus was born, and the angels came to the shepherds, and they were sore afraid, because that's what the word we used back in those days." And so, I would have told all that. But y'all know the story. But have you ever looked at this verse? How does it start? Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the descendants of David and the virgin's name was Mary. Why does it start now in the sixth month? The sixth month of what? Exactly. The story is talking about Elizabeth going to have a baby and then it says now in the sixth month of her pregnancy, an angel... Named Gabriel, what was the angel that was sent to uh, Zacharias? What was his name? Gabriel. When Daniel was uh, was getting prophecies some six hundred years before, what angel came to him? Gabriel. Gabriel. Gabriel's getting around, if you know what I mean, right? He he's been around a long time. So in the six months, this angel Gabriel was sent from God to Galilee to Nazareth to this virgin. Wonder why the emphasis is on virgin to a man who's who was a descendant of who? He has to be a son of what? David. David. And has to be a virgin, right? Seed of woman. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now, it's so amazing because the angel comes and talks to her. And if you're in Luke, Luke chapter 1, basically verse 31, uh, the angel said, guess what? You're going to bear a son. Behold, you'll conceive in your womb. You'll give birth to a son, and you shall name him Jesus Now Jesus wasn't—it wasn't an uncommon name, but it wasn't the common name. It's the same name as Joshua, Yeshua. Yeshua in the Old Testament is Joshua, but Yeshua is the same in the New Testament as Jesus. You know, it's that, it's that name, and it means the Savior. That's what it means. And so, you shall name this child, his name will be Jesus. And then here's what he says to him. Behold, here's what's going to be amazing, because here's the key to the whole thing. He's going to be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. Now, what does that mean? Who's the Most High? He's going to be called the what? Oh, if you're a mama, and you, how old do you think you might be? You might be 15 years old. You might be 16 years old. You probably are not 20 years old. You could be as young as 14, but most likely around 16 years old. You're this woman who is betrothed to this man, and you're not married yet, and you're there, and you know one of these days, maybe it could be any time because he's going to prepare a place for you, and you know he's going to come back, and suddenly this angel says, you're going to have a baby. And he's going to be called the Son of the Most High. And notice, the Lord will give him the throne. Now, notice these three things. The throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob. How long? And his kingdom will have what? No end, remember? In Daniel 7, he's going to set up a kingdom that will have no end. Now, I want you to look at this real quickly. He'll have the throne of David, the house of Jacob, and the kingdom will have no end. What do you think she's thinking? But well, who could this possibly be? The only one it could possibly be is the Messiah. And so she's saying, you're telling me I'm going to have a baby, and my baby is going to be the king of the world and the savior of the world. Now, when Zacharias was told that his son would be the forerunner, he didn't what? He didn't believe it. When she's told she's going to be the mother of the Messiah, she says... Can you tell me how this is gonna work? She believes it, she just doesn't know how it's gonna work. And he said, Well, the Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you, and that which is conceived in you is the of of this is the Son of God. So he told her that. So, what happened? That's not in this part, but let me quickly tell you, she left right then and decided to go visit her cousin, Elizabeth, who I already they already said that she's gonna have a baby. So just like how a miracle you're having a baby. Well, it's pretty miracle for her having a baby. So she left, and she's gone for three months. She goes down. She visits Elizabeth. When she walks in, the baby leaps in Elizabeth's womb. They talk. They stay there. She stays there three months. John the Baptist is born, and she comes back. And Joseph has said, where did you go for three months, honey? Because, you know, I mean, we're planning everything. You know what I mean? And she said, oh, I've been gone to visit Elizabeth. And, oh, by the way, I'm pregnant. But don't worry, I didn't do anything wrong. The Holy Spirit came upon me, and the Messiah is inside me. And you can see Joseph going, you've lost your mind, right? You, what would you say? You, you've been gone for three months, and you expect me to believe that when you've been gone for three months and you come back pregnant, that it's God that's made you pregnant? And so he decided to put her away silently because he really loved her and he he didn't want to hurt her. He could have had her put to death. He could have had a public embarrassment as he he divorced her or he could just put her away. And he said, I'm just going to put her away quietly. Nobody will know. I just don't want to make a big deal out of this. But while he slept, an angel in a dream said, don't be afraid to take her because that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. He is the Messiah. And so when he woke up, he said... That's the Messiah, and so, a little while later, Joseph went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Why? Because he was of the house and lineage of David, in order to register with Mary, who was betrothed to him and was pregnant. See, Caesar Augustus came in, and what did he say? I want to I want to tax the world. I want anybody to go to their hometowns, where they grew up. We're going to register everybody, make sure I got everybody there, and then I'm going to tax you. So since Joseph was a descendant of who? King David. Where's David's hometown? Bethlehem. So he goes back to Bethlehem. And while they go there, the baby is born. And the message was sent to the shepherds that the Savior has come. Why? Because Jesus is the great shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And you can see that night, the shepherds are out there and 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 they're they're keeping watch over their flock by night. And, of course, this is the only part of the Bible I knew as a young person because this was the story. Somebody would read it. And angels came. And angel came to them and said, Don't be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which is to all people. Notice this, good news, the Savior's come. Great joy, the joy of salvation to all people because he's the Savior of the world. So you can write that down because it is so beautiful. Good news. Great joy all people. And then my my favorite line. I love good news, great joy to all people. I mean, that's my really great. But here's my favorite line. For today in the city of David, there's been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, let me ask you something. Born that night in Bethlehem, was that a Savior for you? Listen, we ought to be jumping up and down, right? Because at that particular day, that particular night, whatever, Jesus Christ came into this world as our Savior to save us, to give us eternal life as a gift. The Messiah has come into the world. The Messiah has come into the world. So we've seen it. There he is. And let me hit... I'm going to hit one other thing real quickly um, before we end but because we got a lot more stuff to go. But I just wanted to get the background. We're going to see John the Baptist is announcing the Messiah has come. We've seen Jesus Christ the Savior is proclaiming eternal life to all who believe. That's what's going to happen and that's what we're going to see. So let's t- talk for a minute about Jesus. And I want you to see three things. We're going to see his name, his position, and his uniqueness. Now tonight... And well, let me let me let you get that get that down because we're going to see uh, uh, those three things. You can write them up there on your little thing. It says his his name, his position, his uniqueness. You don't have to talk the outside stuff. We'll get more to it in a minute. And by the way, his name means something. His position means something. And his uniqueness means something. So let me tell you this tonight. We're going to look at his name and his position. And we'll go fairly quickly because we only have about 10 minutes left. So we'll go fairly quickly. And then next lesson, we're going to begin to see his uniqueness and his ministry. And it's an incredible aspect. So let's look at his name. His name, Jesus. That's it. We call him. His name is Jesus Christ. Listen, um, a lot of people think his name is Jesus Christ. <laughs> He's actually Jesus, who is the Christ. Jesus is a personal name. Christ is a title. This means Savior. And this means anointed one. So it wasn't that his mom and daddy were Mr. and Mrs. Christ, you know, Jesus Christ because they didn't have names like that they didn't they didn't do that he was called John the baptizing one he was Jesus of Nazareth I mean that's how they they looked at it but his name when we think about his name the name Jesus is, is of course a name in Christ is a title and I want you to think about it the name the personal name Hebrew is Jehovah is salvation God is the savior that's who he is he is the savior it's a personal name and and if you want to write that down where it says Matthew 121 do you remember what Matthew 121? It's when the angel in the dream, Joseph, he says, you shall name him Jesus because he shall save his people from their sins. Name him Jesus. Um, Acts four twelve. 12, there's no other name given under heaven whereby we might be saved. It is the name Jesus. That's why, listen, let me tell you what's so amazing. I got to go with Campus Crusade some years ago to Mexico to show the Jesus film. And you have oh man, we got, we'd say we're going to show a movie and people from all over. They hadn't seen movies ever. And they're all piled into this thing and we got this big kind of tent sheet up there so you could show it and we're showing the movie. And as soon as they see him in that movie, everyone there goes, hey, sirs!" they see him as Jesus. They see him. Listen, this is the greatest name it's ever been. Jesus. Jesus. There's no other name given under heaven, whereby we might be saved, except the name Jesus Christ. Wow, Jesus. Now, the other name, the other thing is the Christ. And me, I mean, let me make sure everybody's got it, but that, that just is saying, that's the name by which, there's no other name but that a person could be saved. The name Christ is Christos, and it's the same as the Old Testament name Messiah, or anointed one, anointed one, Yeshua, Yeshua Messiah. Jesus Messiah, that's really the Old Testament way to say it, and that's who he is, he's set apart, he's the anointed one set apart for service, and that Psalm 2 talks about that, I've got it down at the bottom, and that's what the name Christ means, it means the anointed one of God, set apart for God. In the Old Testament, and most everybody got that written down? Okay, in the Old Testament, there was a prophet, a priest, and a king. They were all anointed. You've known this, and we've taught this many times, so this is not new, but there was a prophet, priest, and kings. You anointed a prophet. Priests were anointed, and kings were anointed. Nobody had all three offices. Some people were prophets. Some people were priests. Some people, like Samuel, was a prophet and a priest, but nobody was a prophet, a priest, and a king. Nobody. Not even Melchizedek. He was a king priest, but he was not a prophet. So the anointed one in the Old Testament would be one who would come, who would be the prophet, the priest, the king. That's Jesus. He is the prophet because he not only speaks the word of God, he is the word of God. He not only is a great high priest, he is the high priest that offered himself as the final sacrifice. He not only is a king, he's the king of kings and the lord of lords. That's who he is. He is the prophet, the priest, and the king. And so when you look at this, you don't have to write everything down, but that what I just said, he gives the word of God, He is the living word, he offers himself, he's the king and lord of lords. That's who he is. And so when you say Christ, don't just think it just means nothing. It means that he is that anointed one of God, the only one that is a prophet Priest and king in all aspects. So it's so powerful. What amazing truths when you think about it. Uh, and, uh, and this is why, I'm, I mean, when, when you really think about who Jesus is and what he's done, it's just out of this world. This last part, I'll have to go fast just because of time. But we'll see, the Lord, there's another word that goes in there, it's the word Lord. Sometimes people say the Lord, Jesus, Christ. The word Lord actually is the word for deity. So he is God who is the Savior, who is the anointed one of God. That's who he is. So when you say the Lord Jesus Christ, you're saying he is God who is the Savior, who is the set-apart one by God. That's who he is, the Lord Jesus Christ. So his full name is Lord Jesus Christ, if you want to put all the titles and everything. The last part I want you to see beside his name is his position And when I say position, there are two things, his relationship to God and and where he is. So put that under where it says one and two, under Jesus' position. Put number one, his relationship to God, and number two, his place where he is now. And I'll go really fast. And and there's I mean there's just so much stuff. We could spend days on this. But I just want you to see it. And then we, we can talk a little bit more about it next week as we look a little bit more about who he is. We'll review some of this. So if you don't get it all perfectly, we'll review it next week. But let's talk about his relationship to God. He is what? The Son of God. That's who he is. The Son of God. And by the way, when Jesus is not ever called a God, he's not a God. He is the God. He is the only God. He is the Son of God. Jesus is not called a Son of God, but He is called the Son of God. And John 10 30 I and the Father are one. That means Jesus Christ and God the Father are exactly the same. Now, we've talked about this a lot of time and I don't want to go into detail on it. I just want to remind you of something. We have one God, but He exists in three persons. The Father, the Son, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. The Son is God, the Father is God, the Holy Spirit is God. We can't understand how all this fits. The Son is not the Father, the Son is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Son, the Spirit is not the Father. They're all three separate, three persons, one God in three persons, we call it the Trinity. Not three gods, one God in three persons. is beyond our comprehension, but the Bible talks about it that way. When he says, I and the Father are one, he's meaning we are exactly the same. In fact, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, he's the exact image of the Father. When Jesus Christ came, he is the exact image of the Father. I read something that somebody quoted. I thought, I thought it was pretty neat. Just listen to this. If Shakespeare came into the room, we might all stand and applaud. If Jesus comes in the room, we'd all be on our knees because he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He's the Savior. The second part I wanted you to see was his place. He is seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places. I love that. Seated at the right hand of the Father in the heavenly places. Think about that. I mean, we we talk about Jesus. And now, we know that Jesus is everywhere because he's God. He's omnipresent. But where is he? Technically, right now, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Why? Because his work is finished. He offered one sacrifice for sin forever. And what did he do? He sat down. Remember, we just said he is seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father. Can you think of any time that Jesus stood up after he sat down by the right hand of the throne of God? You remember a guy named Stephen, he got stoned. And as they were stoning him, or they got ready to stone him, and he said, He he looks into heaven and he says, I see the Son of God standing at the right hand of the Father. Because the best we can tell, Stephen was the first martyr of the church. So, unique. Huh? The cool thing is that when we believe we were baptized into Christ, where is Christ at the right hand? Right. This is a great truth. And I'm glad you said that we are placed in christ the moment we believe we're in christ If any man be in christ he's a new creation so we're placed in christ baptized into christ identified christ so where are we in fact if you look at ephesians and colossians it says he's he saved us and raised us up with christ and seated us in the heavenly places with christ so where are you right now your position is you're seated in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ, by the throne of the Father. That's where you are. That's your position. So when we go around, and I act like we're nothing. No, I'm nothing. no you're, you're something you seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father. De- wake up, my gracious. Who do you think you are? Okay. So he's the great high priest. His work is finished. And so what we've seen is his position as the unique Son of God and at the right hand of the Father uh, and, and really inside of every believer. Now next time, we're going to look at his uniqueness and so let me give you the flow of some of the things. You, you can write this down. You don't have to write all this down. There's a lot of information. But let me give this to you as we get to the end. Here are the things we saw tonight. And you, you can write a little bit of it down. You don't have to write everything. We saw the flow of the promise of the Messiah from Genesis to John the Baptist. We saw the seed of woman, the seed of Abraham, the son of David, the, the, the son of man. We, we saw the son of Mary. We saw the son of God. We saw the Lamb of God. So we saw the flow. And you don't have to write down every word. Just say, the flow of the promise of the Messiah. We saw the articles in the temple, and they're a picture of Jesus Christ. What's the bread a picture of? Jesus is the bread of life. What's the lampstand a picture of? Jesus is the light of the world. That's right. What about the altar out front? What is the picture of? The, the final sacrifice for sin. So, it's exactly right. The third thing is the prophecies we've talked about, the prophecies of the forerunner and the Messiah. And we, and we saw them. We saw him coming. Malachi 3. We saw Isaiah 40. We saw those different things. The prophecies of the forerunner and the Messiah. The fourth thing is we've seen the birth of the forerunner and the Messiah. Now, I, mean, I know that they were so common that tonight when we talked about them, you've heard them a million times. But I think it's empower, very powerful to go over them again to say, what happened? How did John find this out? What happened when the baby was born? What about Jesus? How did that happen? What happened when the baby was born? That kind of thing. The fifth one is we've seen the meaning of the name Jesus or the names of Jesus. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is God who is the Savior, who is the anointed one of God. And then last, we saw that Jesus as the Son of God is seated at the right hand of the Father. You know what we're going to do next week? We're going to talk about what's he doing seated at the right hand of the throne of the father. What's he doing? And we'll see that. Okay, let me give you the applications real quickly and then we'll look at the we'll put the quiz up. Okay, here's some applications. And and you can just you know, don't have to put down every word. L- let's understand the flow of the prophecies. Let's understand it. If somebody asks you, "Can you trace the Messiah from the Old Testament to Jesus?" You could say, "Well, yeah, sure I can. I can do that." Uh, Seed of woman, seed of Abraham, son of David, son of man, son of Mary, son of God, Lamb of God. You could do it. Right? We can trace it right on up. So let's be able to do that. Let's understand how the temple is a picture of Jesus. And when you see a temple or the tabernacle and you see the altar or the laver or the showbread or the lampstand, you can say, well, Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the bread of life. Jesus is the final sacrifice. He's the prayers going up. He's all of those things. The third one is let's know the prophecies concerning the coming of the forerunner and the Messiah. We need to know those. You need to know the Isaiah 40. You need to know the Malachi 3. You need to know Isaiah 9, 7, 14. Those kind of things. You just need to know how they fit together. Because some people, you could tell them, you know, God prophesied all this. Where? Yeah. Where? Well, okay, I'll show you. And so know that. The fourth one is, let's understand why Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. Why is he seated At the right hand of the Father. Because the work is finished. What did he say on the cross? By the way, that's when he did it. When he was on the cross, what did he say? It is finished. He paid for sin before he died physically. We all know that. Okay, everybody got that one? All right. Oh, let me go back. Did Make sure you got it. Just understand the flow, understand the temple, understand the prophecies, and understand why Jesus is seated with the Father.